Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. As we continue in Ephesians, we're continuing to see Paul tell us to be who we are in Christ. And he has already spent a chapter and a half in chapters 4 and half of 5 uh, telling us as the church how, how to relate to one another as those who are in Christ and Christ is in us. And now he's going to enter into this section of three primary kinds of relationships, three uh, areas of relationship that are really some of the foundational uh, pieces of society even. He's going to show us how different people who are in Christ um, live and relate in these areas, in marriage, in family, and in the workplace. And then after that, he's going to remind us that in order to live this way, in order to be who we are in Christ, it's warfare. And so Eric and um, Robert will give us uh, some words of wisdom from Paul on how to be prepared for that warfare and how to pray in the midst of it. And then by the end of May, we will have finished Ephesians. But this morning, we're going to talk about marriage. And I understand uh, that as you come to this passage, if you're familiar with it or if you read it ahead of time, uh, there's all kinds of reactions to it, all kinds of emotions. Um, whether you have uh, come from a broken marriage in your own home, your own parents, whether you yourself uh, come from a broken marriage, whether you are in one that is, that is broken, they're all broken to some degree, but whether you're in one that's particularly difficult, whether you're in one that's a joy, um, whether you feel like you yourself have, have failed or are failing. I want you to hear, Jesus understands where you are and where you've been, okay? And he loves you, and he's uh, here to strengthen you. And I trust that this passage and the sermon will, will encourage you uh, along the way. But uh, he has a great, a great design and plan for husbands and wives. And so we're going to dive into that now. So if you would turn with me, Ephesians 5. I started in verse 21 because it's the end of that last section where Paul had said in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And the last sign of being filled with the Spirit, Paul said, was that we would be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he moves into this section on marriage. So I'm going to start with verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord of the God who loves you. Hear the word of your bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. Would you stand with me as I read his word? Paul reminds us, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, 
and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated as I pray. Father, we need your help now to, to hear you, to, to focus, to stay, to stay in this. Our, this topic is going to probably make our hearts bounce all over the place, and, and we need you to help us just to, just to stay here, stay in this right now, and um, help us to hear what you have to say uh, to us about marriage about what it means to be husband and wife. I ask for your help now. Apart from your spirit, Lord Jesus, your people uh, will not hear your word and will not be changed by it. So come, Holy Spirit, do that work in us, we pray, including in me, in Jesus' name, amen. I married Christine for me. I thought marriage was all about me 31 years ago. Uh, I thought it was all about what she would be and do for me. Now, yeah, I, I said all the right things. I said it was about loving her and serving her and, and all those good things. But let's be real. It was about me and my needs. I married Christine with a me-first heart. I think she found that out pretty quickly. Now, I didn't stay there. At some point, I came to understand that marriage works a whole lot better if I don't make it all about me. Any other men figure that out? It, it works better when you don't make it all about you. It works better, it does work better when I make it about her. When I'm here for her, to love her, to serve her, to help her flourish. And you know, that does make marriage a lot better. I mean, if, if both husband and wife are focused on the other, then how much better would that marriage be than most of the marriages in our culture, right? A marriage can last a long time if both husband and wife are committed, not 50%, 50%, but both 100% to each other. It'll last a long time. And Paul's certainly in favor of husbands and wives who, in humility count each other more significant than themselves. So it works better 
when I make it about her. But Paul is telling us in Ephesians 5 that there's more to marriage than that. It's certainly not about making it about me, and it's more than making it about her. Marriage is not about me. It's not about her. Marriage is about Jesus. Now, look quickly through these verses. Paul says that marriage is all about Jesus. Listen to the phrases in the passage we just read. Reverence for Christ as to the Lord, as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. As the church submits to Christ, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, that he might present the church to himself as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members of his body. It's all about Christ. And then he sums it all up by saying, this mystery of marriage is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is about Jesus. Paul is calling us to a Jesus-shaped marriage. But now, the, does that mean that husbands and wives get nothing out of marriage? I mean, is there no benefit to us? Of course, there's benefit to us. But, but the good we get out of marriage is best when the marriage is about Jesus, not us. A Jesus-shaped marriage, though it is not about me, it will be good for me. It's what I need. A Jesus-shaped marriage, though it is not about Christine, it will be good for her. It's what she needs. A Jesus-shaped marriage is about Jesus, but for us and for our neighbors, and for this nation, and the nation, then the next generation. Here's the main point of the message this morning. Paul is showing us in Ephesians that God made marriage to be shaped by Jesus into the shape of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So this morning, in Ephesians 5, we'll see three things. We'll see that Jesus is the purpose of marriage. He's the pattern of marriage. And he's the power for marriage. So let's, let's look at those three. Jesus is the purpose for marriage. We need to start at the end of this section and, and see what Paul says. Paul first quotes Genesis 2 to remind us what marriage is. And then he's going to immediately tell us what marriage is for. Genesis 2 is quoted in verse 31. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's what marriage is. And here at Mountain Fellowship, we believe that the Bible teaches marriage is between one man and one woman who leave their parents to hold fast to one another in covenant with each other to become one flesh until they are parted by death. That's marriage. But then he says, this is what marriage is for, and that's the focus of the passage. Here's the purpose of marriage. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers, marriage refers to Christ and the church. The purpose of marriage is to put Jesus on display by showing how he relates to his bride, the church. So the purpose of the marriage is to point to Jesus and his love for his bride, us, so that others can look and say, 
So that's what it looks like to be loved by Jesus. That's what it looks like to be in relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the purpose of marriage. And friends, many of us are rightly concerned about what's being said and done about the institution of marriage in our culture today. Rightly concerned. But let's remember that the greatest statement we can make about marriage in our culture today And the most effective strategy we've been given to strengthen marriage in our nation is what you and I do with and in the marriages God has given us. Sometimes it seems like I don't have a whole lot of power about how to change what they're saying about marriage out there, what they're doing to marriage out there. I, I don't have a whole lot of power to do anything about that. But I do, and you with me, we do have the responsibility and the opportunity to work together with our spouses to build a Jesus-shaped marriage that will put the glory and goodness on display, the glory and goodness of Jesus on display to our neighbors, to this nation, and to the next generation. We have that opportunity. So let's do what we can do and not fret about what they're doing. Jesus is the purpose of marriage. We are, we are to uh, put him on display in the way we love one another. How do we do that? Jesus is the pattern of marriage, and this is where we'll spend a good chunk of our time because Paul does. <laughs> Jesus is the pattern for marriage. And Paul makes it plain that both the wife and the husband are to follow the pattern of Jesus in their marriage. Where do I see that? Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So he's saying, let Jesus be your model for how to be a husband. All right, we're going to get to that. But if you're a careful reader, you might see Paul's instructions for the wives and say, well, well, wait a minute, Jimmy. Paul Paul is telling the wives to let the church be the model for how to be a wife. And you're right. That's what he says. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. But as my wise wife pointed out to me when we were talking about this, she said, but the church doesn't do the best job of submitting to Jesus, so what about the church am I to imitate? You know, we we don't do a, a fantastic job of submitting to Jesus, so Uh, What part of what the church does in relationship to Jesus is the wife supposed to imitate? The part that says, no. I think Paul is saying that wives should imitate how the church is meant to submit to Christ. Imitate her purpose, but not necessarily her practice. But the church, the church does have a model for how to submit to Jesus. She has a model for how she's supposed to submit to Jesus. And the model is Jesus himself. We read it earlier in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, church, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You you have this mindset who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the church's model for submitting to Jesus, and that's the church's, and that's the wives' model for submitting as well. Jesus is equal to God, and yet he submitted himself to God for a greater purpose that they had agreed to accomplish together. I'm going to say that again, because he's our model. He's the model. Jesus is equal to God. This is not about inequality. And though he was equal to God, he, yet he submitted himself to God for a greater purpose that they had agreed to accomplish together. The church is to imitate Jesus' submission to his Father, and wives are to imitate the church's submission to Jesus. So, wives, my point is, wives are supposed to imitate Jesus as much as husbands are. Jesus is our pattern for how we live in his marriage, in the marriage that he has given us. Husbands and wives are both called to model Jesus, to put the love of Jesus on display in their marriage. So let's look at each of these, wives and then husbands, quickly. Wives, how are wives called to model Jesus in their marriage? <coughs> Excuse me. A wife is called to show the world the loving submission of Jesus in the way she relates to her husband. Show the world the loving submission of Jesus in the way she relates to her husband. So what does this loving submission look like? Paul says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Here's the question everybody wants to know. What is submission? What does it mean? Well, the word, the Greek word that's there, it just it means to line up under. It, it was used a a lot in, in a military context. Um, I love the way that uh, Larry Crabb defines submission. Uh, he says it means to fall in line with a larger design. I mean, even the English word kind of gives us a picture of what that looks like. Submission. To come under the mission of another. That's what we're talking about. Whose mission is it? Paul says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's the Lord's mission. Her primary and absolute submission is to the Lord Jesus. So Paul is asking her to express her submission to Jesus in her relationship to her husband. Now, it might be easier to know what submission is if we, tell, if we think about what it's not. We have so, many, so much cultural baggage, both outside the church cultural baggage and inside the church cultural baggage about submission. So here's what it's not, okay? As I said before, it does not mean inequality. Jesus is co-equal with the Father, and yet Jesus chose to submit to his Father. Submission is not inequality. Submission does not mean that the wife has less value or worth than the husband. Jesus is not less God because he chose to submit to his Father. It's not about value or worth. Submission does not mean the husband can force you to do whatever he wants, nor does it mean that you're not your own person. 
This is a chosen submission, not a coerced submission. Jesus worked together with the Father and the Spirit to carry out the plan for our salvation. He was not coerced, but freely gave himself up. So husbands, this whole thing of submit woman needs to get out of our vocabulary and our mindset. We do not force or coerce our wives into submission. They choose to offer it. Submission does not mean that the wife has no opinion or voice or part in a decision-making process. Of course not. In fact, part of submission, wives, is to submit all of your wisdom and experience, your training, your heart, your intuition, your relational skills to the decision-making process. Offer it as a resource. And if we're wise, we will join you in offering our resources, seek your input and involvement, and together figure out what's the best decision for our family. Paul says, submit, wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Now, that's a scary phrase. But what that does not mean is that wives do whatever the husband tells you to, even if it leads to sin. The apostles uh, were told to stop teaching and preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 5, and they said to the leaders of the day, we must obey God rather than men. So wives, you should not submit to anything your husband leads or asks you to do that undermines God's mission for your husband, for yourself, or your family, and that includes especially any abuse of any kind. I'm going to say that again. Do not submit to anything your husband leads or asks you to do that undermines God's mission for him, for your husband, for yourself, for your family. So sometimes submission sounds like saying no. There's a whole lot more nuance into that, but finally, submission does not mean submission to all men. Paul said, to your own husband. This is, this is in the context of your marriage, not to men in general. So men, we need to get the attitude out of our heads that says uh, all women have to submit to us. And women, you probably don't have that attitude already, but I would invite you to not uh, feel the pressure that you have to submit to every man. This is in the context of your marriage. So, you know, Paul doesn't give any rules to follow here. There's no five steps to becoming a submissive wife. There's no easy formulas. He doesn't give any specific specific examples of what to do, what it looks like. And I think it's because he's talking more about a disposition of the heart. To have that heart of Jesus that is willing to give himself for the sake of a greater mission. Now, there's the question of what does it mean that the husband is the head? 
Paul says the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Well, first of all, husbands are not the saviors of their wives. That's not what Paul is trying to say. But as we'll see more in a minute, their headship is modeled after Christ's headship over his body, his bride, the church. As we've seen, Jesus used his position of headship to serve the church for her good and God's glory. Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. He wasn't hung up on having authority or being the head. He was focused on using his headship as a resource to serve his bride. In the same way, husbands have been given a position of responsibility and accountability to God. And they're to use that position to cultivate the flourishing of their family, starting with their wives. It'll become become clear in a moment as we get into this next section that since the husband is the head of the wife, the quality and vitality of the marriage will depend largely on how the husband moves into the marriage and toward his wife. And so Paul will spend more time addressing the husband than he does the wife in this passage. And so let's move to the husband. A husband, a wife is called to show loving submission, the loving submission of Jesus and the way she relates to her husband. A husband is called to show the loving servant leadership of Jesus in the way he relates to his wife. And so how do husbands model Jesus in their marriage? Paul says, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Let that sink in for a minute, brother. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. What will it look like to do this, brothers? I have three words, three words to help us grasp this this passage and and this vision. Um, Crucifixion, resurrection, and union. Crucifixion. Jesus gave himself up for her. Jesus literally and physically died for his bride, and we're not talking about uh, we we are saving them by our death. This is, only Jesus did that, but Jesus physically died for his bride, and we may be called to do that at some point. But in the meantime, we are called to daily die to ourselves for our wives. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So in order to love our wives as Christ loves the church, brothers, we have to undergo a crucifixion of ourselves, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following Jesus into sacrificial love. It also involves resurrection. What did Jesus want most for his bride? What did Jesus have in mind for her? He had new life, resurrection life in mind for her. And this is how Paul describes it, that Jesus gave himself up for his church so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's 
a picture of new life, resurrection life. So brothers, I have to ask you, as I ask myself, what vision of new life do we have for our wives? What, what resurrection vision do we have for our wives? Do you want to see her grow in holiness? To become more and more like Jesus? What can we do to help, help that happen in her life? And let me give you a clue. It's not by saying, you need to be more holy. What can we do? What obstacles can we get out of her way so that she can grow in her new life in Christ? What prayers can we pray for her? What encouragement can we give her? Give her? And how can we model this new life and, and live this new life with her? Do we have a vision for, of resurrection for our wives? And the last word I had is union. Um, marriage makes us one, one flesh. And Paul said, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Why? Because they're one. For no one ever hated his own flesh. He's just saying, this is ridiculous. Why do you treat your wife like you hate her? You don't hate yourself. But no, he nourishes and cherishes his body. Just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Jesus considers us part of himself. So much so that he told Paul that whatever you do to the church, you do to me. Union means to see yourself as one with your wife. Two distinct people who have their own roles and responsibilities, but who move in tandem, who work as one unit, who together are under God's mission, who work together to put Jesus on display in the way they relate to one another and to their families and to all the people that God gives them wherever he puts them. But ask all of us, husbands, what might it look like for us to nourish and cherish our wives this week? Ponder that this afternoon. Just one way, one practical way we might nourish and cherish her because whatever we do for her, we do for ourselves. <laughs> so that's the pattern the pattern of Jesus in marriage. And believe me, there's so much that, more that could be said. There's so much more that has been written on the subject of what this looks like in a marriage. I, I can't get into that here, but I want to commend a couple of books to you. Tim and Kathy Keller's The Meaning of Marriage is excellent, and, and will flesh out some of this. I'm going to post uh, later on our Facebook group an excerpt from that book um, that I think you'll find helpful. And also Larry Crabb's Men and Women Enjoying the Difference. Um, Dr. Crabb gets very specific and gets into what is submission and headship and loving your wife as Christ loved the church. What does this look like on the ground? So I commend those resources to you. But now, by now, both wives and husbands should be asking, how are we ever going to be able to live according to the pattern of Jesus in our marriages.
for the purpose of putting Jesus on display. How are we going to do this? You can't do it without the power of Jesus. He's the only source of power for this kind of marriage. So we have to remember what Paul has been saying in Ephesians. What he prayed for us in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And this is what he prays for us, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, to know the love of Christ, your bridegroom, for you, church. This is what Paul wants for you. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is praying that we would be strengthened with the Spirit to know Christ, to know His love for us, and to be full to overflowing with His love for one another until it overflows out of us into loving submission and loving servant leadership in our marriages. So, friends, the number one priority in your marriage, the number one priority in your marriage to one another is your marriage to Jesus as his bride. Your relationship with Jesus is the key to having the kind of marriage Paul is describing here. And and here's just one reason, one reason why your relationship with Jesus will empower you to live like Jesus in your marriage. And that is, as I thought about it this week, when we read what God requires of us in marriage, fear rises up. It rises up in me, and I know from my conversations with my sisters in Christ, fears rise up in them. Living like Jesus in our marriages stirs up all kinds of fear in me, And I think in a lot of men, it stirs up the fear of failure. And there's a passive version of this, and there's an aggressive version of this. If I think about living like Jesus in my marriage, and I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to do this, I don't have what it takes to do this, I'm going to fail at doing this. If I'm the passive type, then I may just shrink back from my responsibility for fear of failing in it. And so my fear translates into not doing anything. But then if I'm kind of the aggressive type A type of person, I might, I might try to address my fear of failing and try to overpower or control my wife, control her and to prove I can make a difference in this marriage, to prove I'm the man. Brothers, Ask yourself honestly as you think about what Paul is uh, saying to us about living like Jesus in our marriage. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid to fail and how do you respond to that fear? Now, I don't necessarily understand exactly all the fears of women, but from my conversations with sisters in Christ, perhaps these are some of the fears that women have when they think of loving submission. 
fear of being unseen. If I submit, will it make me not be seen? Or will it make me become a non-person? Is submission going to just make me a doormat? And a, a person who has really nothing um, that she offers, and she's unseen? That could be one of the fears. Or maybe the fear is the fear of being used. If I submit, will I, in my vulnerability, be hurt or wounded or taken advantage of perhaps even destroyed. These, these are legitimate fears that both men and women have as they think about living the way Jesus would have us live in our marriages. And in order to o- overcome our fears in marriage, we have to have someone outside of us, someone other than our spouse, to trust with our hearts, to trust with our fears. And we can trust the heart of Jesus, Paul is saying. That Jesus is for us and with us in those fears. We can trust his heart as we move toward our spouse in loving submission and loving servant leadership. But why? Why can you trust his heart? Paul has already told us. Jesus gave himself up for you. Before you ever did anything right or wrong in your marriage, Jesus died to make you his. You can rest in his love for you no matter how much you fail or fear in your marriage. Paul told us that Jesus will continue to work by his spirit to sanctify you, to cleanse you by washing you with the word of God so that he might present you to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that you might be holy and without blemish. If that's what Jesus intends to do with you, his bride, he will do it. And he will even use your marriage to accomplish it in you. You can know and trust that Jesus is working in you, even as you're fearful about what he's called you to. And then Paul says that Jesus longs to nourish and cherish you. And how do I know? How do I I sense his nourishing and cherishing? This is what we're here for today. We know from his word, we know from fellowship with one another, we know from coming to this table that he loves us, he cherishes us. We're reminded again and again and again that he cherishes us and his body and blood nourish us. And so I would invite you, friends, (laughs) go be with Jesus, spend time with him, seek out his nourishment, find out how cherished you are. Well, as I close, I want to ask you, how many of you have ever watched Dancing with the Stars? Ever seen that? Or you at least know what it is. Uh, you know, people are entertained by my dancing. Yeah. Yeah. No. If I were on that show, it'd be called Dancing with Scars because of all the damage I would do to the people I'm dancing with. But, uh, hey, back in the old days of the show, the, there was this brother-sister duo, uh, Derek and Julianne Huff, um, and they're amazing. And sometimes they do a, a special routine for the crowd, and you just watch it, and you're like, 
that's incredible. Even if you're not, you know, a dancer type of person, you, you can't help but just be amazed and in awe of what they do. They were fluid and they were full of grace. Sometimes each had their own magical movements and sometimes they moved in the exact same way, but they were always together. Two dancers, one dance. You couldn't always tell who was leading, but you knew they were both being led by the music, by the rhythm. They were each in sync with the song and their partner all at the same time. I watched them and I wondered how much fun it would be to have the skill to be able to dance like that. You know, it took a, a, a ton of hard work to get there, but once you get there, to have the freedom to dance like that on the floor. I wish sometimes that Christine and I could download Derek and Julianne's skills and training and their innate, their innate sense of rhythm and all of their grace and strength just downloaded into ourselves and then hit the dance floor together. It would be a lot of fun to be able to dance like them. And friends, the promise of the gospel is that Jesus is not just your dance instructor. He lives in you and fills you with the fullness of his loving submission and his loving servant leadership so that you can together, husband and wife, listen to the music and rhythm of God's heartbeat for you in the gospel and dance with one another in a marriage that is shaped by Jesus into the shape of Jesus. Father, this is a high, high calling. And yes, we are afraid. And yes, we have failed. And yet, Jesus still cherishes us and promises to nourish us. As we, as we dance. <laughs> Holy Spirit, would you come and help us as your people to be shaped by our Lord Jesus and his love for us into the shape of his love um, for our wives and husbands, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.